Thank you for tuning in to Hacks and Hobbies with your host, Junaid. In season two of Hacks and Hobbies, we're visited by our amazing guests coming from all walks of life who want to learn their story, their struggles, and their journey on how they got to where they are today. So stick around. In this episode, we get to speak with Kerry Kathleen Heath. She helps speakers gain more paid speaking engagement. She's from Florida. And seriously, I'm just reading this right off of her LinkedIn connection. And um, we've had a chat here and there before. And I'm just here to learn more from Kerry here, how she does what she does. She talks about, there's a lot of speaking in, you know what, let me let Carrie introduce or give us a little bit of hint of what she's about. We had, we had a intro conversation and man, I'm so bad at this. Um, Carrie, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast here at Hacks and Hobbies. I thank you so much for having me as a guest. It's an honor to be here with you and also with your listening audience today. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's great to have you here. And um, we're just here. So the purpose of Hacks and Hobbies is one, to talk about life hacks and different hobbies that myself and my friends and my colleagues and, and, uh, and people amazing people, entrepreneurs that I've spoken with and how they've converted that hobby into something more. And then the, the reason for reaching out in 2019 for season two is to learn more from amazing speakers, authors, uh, entrepreneurs, how they've gone through their journey, like what's their journey, what different struggles they faced and how they overcame that to be where they are today. So uh, tell us a little bit about your journey and your story and how you got here. Absolutely, I would love to. Well, my uh, story starts basically, um, I started my business uh, 15 years ago. It'll be 15 years in June, actually. Um, So I've had my business for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And prior to that, I, you know, let everyone know, I, I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. My father was an electrician. Mm-hmm. And he had a lot of flexibility. That's something that I saw growing up that he was able to come and pick me up from school when I was sick. He's actually the one who took me to school in the morning because his schedule allowed him to do that. And I really didn't know any other way to live, really. Um, when I got out of college, um, you know, high school and then college, I had a variety of different jobs and I had some really, really great positions. I worked as a legal assistant uh, for a couple of attorneys. I worked at a large construction company at one point where I was, you know, executive assistant to the CEO. I did a lot of their meetings. Um, I had jobs that paid well that most people, once they get a job like that, they pretty much stay put. But there was just something inside of me that just wasn't settling. I couldn't quite figure out what it was. I just never seemed to be happy. I wanted more, Um, wanted more freedom, more flexibility. 
And as luck would have it, I was actually teaching some classes, some modeling and acting classes at John Casablanca mm. in Jacksonville at their location. And an opening had come up for a salesperson to do, you know, inside sales. And it was pretty much an all commission based position. And one of the other instructors had encouraged me. They said, you should apply for that. And I thought, no, I am just not good at sales. I don't think that would be a good fit for me. Mm. And she kept pushing and prodding. And I was like, well, okay, I'll give it a shot. So I interviewed for it. And because I was already an employee, they went ahead and just transferred me over. They still allowed me to teach. But I absolutely thrived at that job. And it was very hands-off. I did not have anybody checking on me. I was able to come in, do my job, and go home. Um, and I was selling something that I really believed in, that I really liked, and you know, partook in, you know, on the flip side, teaching. Mm -hmm. So it went very well. And the more I, I was like, you know what, I would love to because I had modeled a lot when I was younger. So I thought, you know, I would love to have my own agency, you know, teach some modeling and acting classes and, you know, also be able to uh, do image consulting, work with people in the pageant industry. So I figured out I need to be an entrepreneur. You know, clearly it was in my blood. So I relocated to Orlando and I'll kind of wrap this story up pretty quickly, but mm -hmm. I wound up, I got another position in sales, doing outside sales, and that was for a staffing firm. Mm -hmm. So my job was to go out and schmooze and mingle with different people and attend big events and uh, find job orders. And when we got too full, you know, we, we needed to fill those job orders. So sometimes I would have to come in and do recruiting. But during that time, I took a year. I worked part-time in the evenings to save money to start my business. And uh, probably about a year and a half into it, I finally said, okay, today's the day. I went in, I put my two-week notice in. And that Friday, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I'm free. You know, I don't have to worry about anything anymore. And that Monday morning, I woke up and I remember there was a really light rain misting outside and I went to my dining room window. And I thought, oh my gosh, what did I just do? But I have to say it's 15 years later and I wouldn't trade my worst day as an entrepreneur for my best day in corporate. I think when it's the right fit for people, you know, to be on their own and to have their own business, yeah. there's nothing like it. But it's not for everyone, just like corporate isn't for everyone either. Exactly. The, that's, that's a really cool story. I mean, having, having that growing up, watching your dad, you know, having that flexibility of entrepreneurship that really sets in, you know, mm -hmm. um, like, wow, that's so cool. Like, why do I need to spend eight hours here at the office in corporate environment when I could be doing something more flexible? And that's, that's really cool. And I will say too, I mean, it's, and, and I, you know, over the years, my father's retired now, but I, you know, remember growing up, there were times that, you know, he struggled, you know, with his business. And then there were years that he really flourished. And, you know, it's never, I tell everybody, entrepreneurship, it's just not a straight line. You know, even when I started my business, I was going back in to do, you know, to start an agency to train, you know, modeling for, you know, the pageant systems and, you know, to be in that side of things. And as luck would have it, you know, I actually, started doing a lot of business to business marketing and my everything that I wanted to do took a back burner for many years up until a couple of years ago. Um, and I just, I started doing trade shows, um, 
I was helping businesses with their marketing. Mm -hmm. So where I wanted to go, it, it turned out, I thought, well, I'll start doing some of this until my image consulting and pageant stuff takes off. And it kind of took on a life of its own. Um, and that happens to a lot of people. Sometimes you start out on one track and something you get sidetracked or something else happens. And not that that's a bad thing, because I will say everything that I have learned uh, during those first you know, 10 to 12 years um, helped me just do what I'm doing now even better. Yeah. Because those experiences, you learn off of it. And then you're like, you know, I learned this over here and I can apply that to this that I'm doing. And it definitely, I mean, that experience is, is a key. And one thing that Gary Vaynerchuk tells everybody, all the students, telling, and then, you know, he's like, because right now entrepreneur is a hot term. And everybody's like, oh, I want to I wanna be an entrepreneur on Instagram. Oh, I'm an entrepreneur. They want that. It's like a entitled, entitled label, so to say. It's like it's hot. You know, it's, it's something hot to be have. But what he says is that if you want to be an entrepreneur in a specific industry, go work in that industry and learn everything you want to know for five years and then start your own business. Because unless you have that experience, unless you have money flowing and you have backing from your parents or whatever, you know, you have, you, you're you just not going to make it. It's, it's not going to work out as good as everybody thinks it is. Well, I would say two things to that. I, and I do agree with that. I think everybody really wants to be an entrepreneur. And like a friend of mine used to tell me, Lauren Little, she used to say, people see my glory, but they don't know my story. You know, they see how great you're, you know, oh, well, you get to take off in the middle of the day. But what they're not seeing is that you worked three days in a row until 2 a.m. on whatever project or whatever you needed to get done. They're not seeing all of the back end stuff that the entrepreneur is doing to make their business successful. And, and I would say, too, with money, I, you know, when I started my business, I, you know, I worked for a year part time and saved up money. And did I need more? Sure. Was it a stumbling block? Yes. Did I learn a lot from it? Absolutely. And there have been times, you know, over the years where my business has been lean and I've had to work part-time, you know, that just, that happens sometimes. But if you really believe in what you're doing and you're going to do whatever it takes to succeed, you know, as far as like, I, I'll never forget, I went into, um, which they're not ironically not in business anymore, but I went into a women's entrepreneurial center that was funded by the state uh, prior to leaving my job. And I had talked with them about getting a small business loan. Yeah. And, you know, they were like, oh, you know, what you're trying to do, it's never going to work. You're not going to make it. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I just sat there politely and I smiled. I didn't say anything. Um, then they had asked me, they said, you know, we're looking for equipment to be donated. Do you all, does your company have any computers or anything that you could donate? And I was like, yeah, I think we do actually. And I was able to get them a donation and I left and I never went back. Yeah. <laughs> and I wound up, I remember several years later, probably like, I don't know, four or five years later, I was driving by the same location and there is a four lease sign across there because they didn't make it. Yeah. They did not make it. Mm -hmm. And I did. 
So, you know, you have to, you, I, I think to be an entrepreneur, there's a couple of things that I would share with your audience is that you need to be passionate about what you're doing. It's just like, I speak, I do a lot of speaking. I do other things besides that. Mm -hmm. And everybody wants to be a speaker, yeah. but what they don't want to do is have to do all of the applications, you know, do all the open call for speakers, fill out those forms, you know, on an ongoing basis, putting your information out there. The three engagements that I have on my calendar this month, they asked me to come and speak in February of last year. And yeah. I applied to speak in November of the following year for them. Yeah. Wow. So it's, you know, it's time consuming and most people want everything to happen now, now, now. And it just doesn't work that way. Entrepreneurship is no different. Um, but having a passion for what you do, because that is going to get you through the hard times. You know, just like I said, there I have hard days all the time, but they're different from what I had when I worked at a company. Um, it's not that you're dealing with a coworker, but you could have a client that is a little bit challenging or, you know, maybe you have a really rough schedule, uh, traveling, um, that, you know, those things happen and it's just taking a lot more out of you physically than what you thought it would. Um, but it's all part of the process. You, you have to really have to have that drive. You've got to really want to do what you're doing. And I, I would agree with, you know, going and working for someone. I, I recommend to everybody, if they want to have their own business, go do outside sales, mm -hmm. take an all commission job, mm -hmm. even if you did it part-time or as a weekend thing or as a hobby. Mm -hmm. because it's going to teach you. I don't care what industry you're in. I don't care if you're an accountant. I don't care if you are a speaker, if you own a gym, if you're a personal trainer, if you're a photographer, you are going to have to become adept at selling yourself. Because if you can't do that, if you can't go and get your own clients, do not hang that sign out. Don't do it because you'll never survive. You, when you're an entrepreneur, that's one of the main hats you have to wear in the beginning. You have to, you're responsible to go bring in clients. If you don't bring in clients or bring in business, yeah. you are not going to eat that month. It's just that simple. Uh, so I would say outside sales, mm -hmm. you know, learn how to do that because, and I've had people say to me, they're like, I'd love to do what you do, but I don't want to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, well, then you're right. You're, you're making the right move by staying where you are because you wouldn't be able to make it. A lot of people just aren't willing to put in the time and the effort of what it's going to take to make a business succeed. No, you're absolutely right. Outside sales teaches you that, you know, the the techniques of being able to talk to people and sell yourself and what you're all about. And, and, um, and if you think about it, kids coming out of college, they have to sell their skills and their education to get a job. Like, and mm -hmm. job interviews is exactly that. It is selling yourself, selling what you know from coming out of college to getting a job. And that's one of the reasons why we have so many people, um, looking, still looking for jobs, even though they've got a bachelor's, a master's, or a PhD. They're just not able to find a job because they're not able to market themselves. And it's so interesting that you bring that up and amazing actually, because one of the topics that I used to speak on uh, because I used to be a recruiter yeah. was resume writing and interviewing techniques. And I used to teach it a lot at the colleges. They would ask me to come out and, Hey, we have a graduating class. Will you come out and do this, you know, this topic for us? Yeah. And I would always do that. And it amazed me that they never taught them any of this at school, you know, when they were 
you know, going through college. And I'm actually bringing that back this year to hit the colleges and the universities pretty hard and say, hey, let me come in and, you know, come and speak to the graduating class because you're right. It's really, you've got to know how to sell yourself. And it's, whether people want to think interviewing is that or not, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, that's really what it boils down to. You're selling yourself. Why am I the best fit for this particular job? And you'll continue to do that throughout your career. Or if you become a business owner, you're going to be doing that, you know, presenting why you're the best choice for whatever project or whatever client. So um, it's interesting that you would bring that up. Yeah, because um, the other thing that I've noticed and I've I have uh, people in my connections, they are LinkedIn, like they speak on LinkedIn, on their campuses, talking Mm -hmm. to students, telling students, hey, you got to have this, this, this on your profile for people to find you uh, on LinkedIn. Because LinkedIn, again, is a marketing platform for your skills. And if you're going to school, if you're, you know, going to come out and want to work for a specific company, well, you got to have those things in your profile so you can market yourself. And they, they talk about making your profile very specific to what the type of job you're looking for. Mm-hmm. This is really, really important. I mean, being the oldest of, you know, six siblings and having tons of cousins who are always like, oh, you know, um, I'm looking for a job or, you know, they're just going to college and, you know, they did their bachelor's, they went and found some work, but then it wasn't really what they wanted and then they go back to college because mm-hmm. going to college it's 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 a comfy zone it's like a comfort it's like a comfort place mm-hmm. that makes sense it is and i see a lot of people returning to it to get their masters or you know to further their education and and there's nothing wrong with that <sighs> but at the end of the day i think if we're not equipping people to you know again you know, you've got to know how to sell yourself. And Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate when I went to school, Mm -hmm. I had a gentleman um, and I actually ran into him a few weeks ago at a restaurant and I made a point to tell him, you know, thank you for all that you did for us because everything he taught us, he taught us how to open up a bank account, how to balance our checkbook, how to budget for groceries, how to budget a monthly budget, how to interview, how to write up your resume. He would bring in all different types of speakers. I mean, he was just an awesome, awesome person. And Coach Jim Beelan, and he's since retired, but I made it a point to tell him, you've made such a profound impact. And he said, thank you for telling me that because, you know, he said, honestly, sometimes I think as educators, they don't hear it enough. You know, if you have a mentor or someone who has been teaching you and they're impacting your life, share that with them. I think sometimes they need to hear it, that they're, you know, they're doing a good job. That's, they're doing the right things. Um, But for whatever reason, they just don't always teach us all of these things. It's the same thing with entrepreneurship. I don't see it. um, You know, I I wish that they would do more of that on college campuses and the high school level and talk to kids because that is the growing, you know, even if people have a business as a hobby, which is great, you know, anymore, it takes more than one stream of income to make ends meet. You know, that's just the economy, how things are. And I think the more we can teach people to, hey, if you have a business you're thinking about, and that's a great way to segue into a full-time entrepreneurship position mm-hmm. is to start out part-time, make it a hobby. Exactly. And, and that's one thing that I've been seeing a lot of people doing that, you know, they're, they're getting into jewelry making, it's their hobby, but then they figure out, oh, I can sell this stuff on, on uh, Etsy, you have mm-hmm. an Etsy store or whatever, or I'm, I'm 
doing crafts and different things, or I'm into woodworking and I can be fixing cabinets or I can be making furniture. So these hobbies are, you know, they, they're good for the mind, but they're, but they're big, but they can also be a full-time thing that people can do. Mm -hmm. And these days we have so many opportunities and so many different avenues to um, market ourselves. You know, we have YouTube, we have Instagram, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn. We have uh, so many different applications that enable us to constantly share what you're doing and, you know, get in, in a way to tell, show people your artistry and show people what you can do. And, and if that's your, that's your end goal, then, you know, you're in the right path doing that. Exactly. And, and I think too, like I said, it's not being a full-time entrepreneur. I don't think it's for everybody. Just like I think corporate, corporate was not a good fit for me. It was almost like it, I was allergic to it. Like it was giving me hives or something. It just, and people would say to me, what is wrong with you? You've got such a great job. And you know, I, I, you can leave when you want and, and you have your own office and, and you, yeah. and I'm like, I just, I don't want this. I want to be on my own. I, I want to be the boss, you know, that's what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, again, I, I think it was something that it was not going to be laid to rest for me until I went out and did it. And, you know, again, I, I tell people, I tell my story and I, you know, I did not start with any money. I did, I wound up, I did get a very small business loan. One of the worst things I could have possibly done a few years into my business. And it was only for $5,000, but it just, that's a whole nother topic. But mm. I, you know, logistically I was able to do it and, and still feed myself. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't have tough times, but yeah. I was able to make it happen. And again, I think if people really want it, they'll find a way to make it work. Mm -hmm. Money or not, they will find a way. Exactly. And what's, what's really cool also is the different flexible jobs that are available. For example, you could be an Uber driver or you mm -hmm. could be a Postmates delivering food to somebody. There's a lot of flexibility in that area. And I've seen a lot of people taking those because one, it's very flexible for them. They can go back to school and then still make some money on the side. And they're not tied to a nine to five type of job. So they have more flexibility. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like I said, I think part-time doing it, a when we say hobby, you know, part-time getting into that, phasing into it, uh, I think is probably one of the best ways. It eases people into it. And if you have other responsibilities that are going on in your life that, you know, you've got children, you have a mortgage, um, you have to assess your situation too, I think, and see where you're at in your life to see, what's the best way for me to approach this? I mean, I, like I said, I, I was making plans, but I pretty much dived off into the deep end of the pool, you know, cause I just, I put in my notice and, and I left and, but again, it, it all worked out great. There's nothing I would change about my journey, but it's also a little bit different for me because I've never had children. I'm not married. And so it's just me you know, um, and I think sometimes when you have a family, you need to make decisions based on where you're at, not just you personally, but also with your family, making sure that they're taken care of. Absolutely. And that's one of the topics uh, my friend and I discussed because he has kids and he wants to become an entrepreneur. And I have the same situation. And we're like, you know, when do we find the time? Do you get up super early in the morning? Do you stay up late at night when everybody's asleep and then work on our business? and work on our uh, marketing and work on the different things that we want to, you know, excel at and, you know, engaging with the community. There's, a, there's so many different things. 
And to share with you some of the idea, and I, I will tell you, uh, you know, even if you're single, like when I, when I was actually, you know, working full time and I had a part-time position that I did, I did that in the evenings on the weekends and I saved money for a year. Um, but even as an entrepreneur, I find that the morning, early morning hours, like, you know, even like after one o'clock in the morning, that time frame between 1am to three o'clock can sometimes be your most creative time. And whenever I have to, if I have a deadline that I'm working on, you know, our magazine or it's something uh, for editorial or if I'm writing an article, I find for some reason I produce better work at that time frame. And I think there are other people who they might find, you know, going to a Starbucks on a Sunday afternoon that they get more, more done. I think everybody kind of has to find their own groove with that. That's absolutely correct. I myself work super like super late at night is when I can focus on everything. And um, it's just somehow like in, in my mind or in my brain, like there's something that clicks like, okay, now I can focus. Um, Very cool. So tell us a little bit about book, speak, repeat, like how does somebody book to get into the speaking industry? Because I've been talking to uh, and I've been listening to a few podcasts and, and talking to and and, and uh, this was Sean Douglas. Um, he had an interview on on Donnie Boyvin's um, podcast, and he talks about what he did to become a TEDx speaker and all the things he did, and, and it was really interesting to hear. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say to everyone, you know, if you're interested in speaking, I, uh, you know, part of the reason I started Book Speak Repeat, I am a speaker myself. Um, I'm not a keynoter. I do breakout sessions, workshops. I will do private trainings for companies. Um, I only have a couple of topics that I speak on. Body language is one. I speak on uh, media exposure and what to, how you can parlay that into more sales. And then I also do kind of another topic that I get booked on a lot, which is follow-up and, you know, creating a follow-up process. So part of the reason why I started Book Speak Repeat is because I, when I first started my business 15 years ago, I spoke a lot and it was so different back then. I mean, back then it used to be that people would come to you and say, hey, I want you to come and speak and they'd book you, they'd, whatever your fee was, they'd write a check. There was never, I mean, it was, it was very different because there were more paid engagements than there were speakers at that time. Well, I had gotten away from it from, you know, for several years, three years ago, I got back into speaking and my first gut instinct was like, oh my gosh, this has changed a lot. It probably took me about six months to figure out how things are done now, you know, completing the call for speakers forms, how to approach private event planners, how to approach the colleges, the universities, or the educational departments, if that's what you're trying to focus on. Probably, you know, six to seven months, you know, during that time frame, I started to get people who were coming back to me saying, hey, we want you to come and speak at our event mm-hmm. and figuring out the process because I'm a process person. Mm-hmm. You know, once you figure out what process works, you just continue to do that. And I started to accumulate a pretty big database and, you know, figuring out when, you know, there's open calls for speakers all the time, but, you know, which ones occur for which events. And after I figured out my process and got it implemented internally for my staff to help me with, I thought, you know, clearly this is a pain point for other speakers, you know, which it is. We discovered it's a huge pain point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the main reason I started Book Speak Repeat was to help other speakers, 
you know, get more speaking engagements. But clearly, you know, even with what we do, you know, for people who are interested in speaking, there's a couple of things I would share. The first and foremost, the market's changed. There are more speakers now than there are paid engagements. And, you know, I know some people are happy speaking for free and that's fine. I mean, we don't specialize in that. We only deal with paid engagements, but it's a, it's a changed market. I mean, meeting planners, it's definitely a meeting planners market. So meeting planners clearly have a lot of choices. The content, the educational content of their event is very important. However, who spews that content out is not because they have so many choices. And there's more and more people who are getting into the speaking industry, ironically, as a hobby or sideline or additional income for their business, which, you know, they're highly qualified. They're great speakers, but it's, you know, again, the more people that there are, clearly that cuts into how much, you know, there's more competition. So they can, you know, meeting planners, uh, you know, they have to, they're expected to do more with less. So that affects what they pay a speaker anyway. But because there's more competition, you know, clearly if they can get someone to do a keynote for less than $10,000, they're going to, if, if they find somebody that's highly qualified, they're going to go with that person. So money does factor into it a lot. Mm-hmm. So my recommendation to everyone is, is that if you feel like you want to be a speaker, that this is something that you want to do, first and foremost, jot down what you want to speak about. What are you going to specialize in? And don't have any more than three topics. You know, if you have more than three, I think it just weighs down the process for everyone. But have three. You need to have them in a certain format. Have it as a topic, a little summary, you know, a few sentences about what that topic is about, and then three to five takeaways. What the audience is going to learn if they come and listen to you talk at this at this workshop or during this breakout session. And the reason you want to have it in that format is because all meeting planners want to see it in that format. There's a method to it, but I mean, if they decide to hire you to speak, they clearly are going to copy and paste that. And that's what they put in their marketing material on the website uh, for people to register. So there's a reason that they want it that way. But clearly you as a speaker want to put that together because you're the one that has to deliver the speech. So you want to make sure that you're delivering exactly what you told them. You never want to come in and and do a topic. um, You know, it might be on body language, but you covered everything that was not outlined in what you sent to them. So having that, that's, that's a huge thing, you know, deciding what topics that you want and, you know, then deciding clearly what, you know, what's your goal? Are you wanting to get into speaking full-time? I'm not saying it's not possible anymore because it is, but just being realistic. I have many speakers who come to me who are in the 10 to $20,000 range. And if they're not going to be negotiable on their fee, we can't work with them because they're not going to get any work. You know, those engagements are few and far between. It's not like what it used to be. And you've got to be negotiable on your fee. Usually the highest that we see for a keynote is anywhere from five to $10,000. And they typically will pay for your travel. But getting more than that is very, very, very tough. You really need to be cornering the market with what you do or be a celebrity in order to get that type of fee. So being realistic and being negotiable on your fees. Another big one is you got to be easy to work with. And it sounds silly that I would say that, but you know, nobody wants to deal with someone who is acting like a diva or a prima donna. 
you need to be easy to work with. You need to realize that, you know, if you come to speak at a, a large event, like for example, I'm speaking at the wastewater treatment show for the second time uh, next week. And it's in Indianapolis. It's the largest trade show uh, for the wastewater industry. 30,000 people go to that show and, you know, to attend. So I'm one of 205 speakers. Mm -hmm. So clearly, if I am being difficult to work with, and I'm making the, the job of the event staff harder, they remember that, you know, and clearly, they're not going to rehire you. Meeting planners talk they're going to tell other people don't hire this person. This is what they did. Mm -hmm. um, so just being easy to work with, get things turned in on time. You know, if you call them, at, if you're going to call it two o'clock, or if you say you're going to call it two o'clock, call it two. And you need to be on time. You know, that's a huge thing for them. You know, one of the event planners we work with, she gets over 2000 submissions a year for the event that she puts together for all the different speaking tracks. And as she told me, she said, you know, if I find somebody I'm interested in, I send them an email. I give it 24 hours. If I don't hear back from them, I move on to the next one. Because as she puts it, if they're not going to be alert and get back to people in a timely manner, they may not show up on time. They may not show up at all. You know, they've had all sorts of things happen. So being easy to work with is, is a huge one, an absolute huge one. And, uh, you know, getting things in on time and, you know, doing your job and showing up, going the extra mile. Don't just come in, speak and leave. Come in, speak, talk to the attendees, mingle around. I mean, and that's also a great way for you to get additional bookings. You know, I always do that. I'll go and talk to exhibitors and I wind up getting business cards from them saying, hey, we hire speakers. We'd love to have you come and talk at our event or, you know, come in and talk with our staff. So always make sure that you're exploring every opportunity. Um, and it doesn't happen overnight. I mean, typical, you know, typical turnaround time to get booked. Uh, like I said, right now, the open calls for speakers are for events that are in the latter part of the year, like December, November, December, or early part of 2020. Wow. They book out very early. You're building up future income and you got to be prepared for that. And so how does the, how do these um, companies or uh, events decide which speaker to pick? Like, for example, if somebody was starting to speak or want to get into speaking, what what kind of portfolio would they have to have in order to be like, okay, you're a speaker that we can bring on board? You need to be authentic and be yourself. Don't try to bend the tree too far. And what I mean by that is that every single event that you apply to, uh, we apply to pretty much everything, um, even myself included. You know, I have my assistant does all of my submissions and I just have her apply to every possible venue out there that has an open call for speakers because at the end of the day, each event, it's going to be different. For example, body language. Um, they may have had someone, they may turn me down because they had someone last year that spoke on that topic, or they just don't feel it's a good fit, you know, for what they're trying to do this year. Um, you'll never have access to that kind of information. So that's why it's best to just go ahead and apply and see what happens. I get booked to speak a lot to women's audiences, but it's not for women's events. Yeah. Um, usually it's for events that are highly populated by men and have a small percentage of women that come to the show. So most of the people I know who try to target women wouldn't even think of applying for some of these shows, even though it would be easier for them to get booked. So I would say be very, be very open. Just don't think about it. Just go ahead and apply. Because if you, if you put too much thought into a certain event and try to get behind what the meeting planner is thinking, you'll never apply. 
you will waste so much time. You will talk yourself out of every single opportunity. And you never know. I, it's the same thing with media. I did an interview on a contractor's radio show a few years ago. Uh, this gentleman heard me on JV Crumb's podcast and he reached out to me and said, I would love for you to come on and, you know, can you do, you know, a segment for us on follow-up and it's mostly electricians and plumbers that listen to my show. And I'm like, I'd be honored to, I went ahead and did it, even though it's not my target market. Yeah. Uh, and as it turned out, that's actually what helped me get into the wastewater treatment show last year. Because when I submitted to speak, I remember, because uh, I filled out the, the initial application, they wanted video. And we don't get asked for video that often. It's like maybe 50% of the time, but it's never a deal breaker. And I had submitted this particular interview because I said, this is kind of, I was talking to your target audience, you know, take a listen to this show. And how I knew that the meeting planner had listened to it is because she called me up and said, hey, you know, you're the daughter of a contractor. She would have never known that had she not listened to the show, because I normally don't share that yeah. uh, all the time, and I don't have it on my website. So she had listened to the podcast, and she said, I really think that you would do well if you could do this particular type of topic. Sometimes they will reach out to you and ask you to do something a little bit different, and either you can do it. I, I would say never say yes that you're going to do it. If they want you to come in and speak on you know, hardware or software, and you're a, an accounting person, you know nothing about that, don't do that. Yeah. But it was enough where I felt comfortable to say, yes, I can do this. And it was kind of my first crack at a motivational type speech, and it went very well. You know, but again, most people would probably, they would probably look at the show and go, oh, well, you know, that's mostly men or it's mostly construction stuff, but they have open tracks for everything, for every different type of show that's out there. They have a leadership track that they need to fill. They have something for human resources. They have um, certain things that are for continuing education for that field. Yeah. Um, they'll have things for IT, for workplace safety. So don't overthink it. I see a lot of speakers who do that. They try to get into the, the head of the person who's planning the event and it's impossible because every single event is different. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. Cause one thing um, that I got out of this is when you're, when you're speaking in a certain topic, you're basically niching down to know everything around that topic. Does that make sense? And when you have three topics, you can talk very well on those three topics. Yeah. It does. And you don't always have to have three. I just, I, I've met a lot of speakers that they have 20 different topics. And I'm like, look, you need to narrow it down to the three you really want to focus on. Because when you go through the submission process, it is, it's not difficult, but it is time consuming. And you don't want to, you know, submit 20 different topics. It makes you look too broad. I mean, you still want to specialize, but having three, you know, is always a, a good number. But if you have just one or two, that's even that to me, that's even better. But, you know, clearly you don't want to have too many um, because it just, it adds to the workload and, you know, during the submission process. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, like some of the speakers that I watch and I'm going to mention Gary Vee again because, and every time you see him speak out there, he's telling the exact same story because that's the one story that he is really good at. Mm -hmm. Um that's really, that's really interesting. Well, and keep in mind too, with your topics, and it's the same thing with me with body language. Yeah. Every time you go and speak, you have to adjust your, your PowerPoint and your presentation a little bit to each audience. And what I mean by that is I just spoke at the HRPA conference, and that is the largest human resources conference in Canada. 
audience. So I knew that the people in the audience were going to be people who are in a hiring capacity. So I always take the same PowerPoint, but I always change it a little bit. And I will use examples from being a recruiter, uh, things that would reflect and, and be important for them. Now I'm doing the same body language class for the wastewater treatment industry, but I have to change it because it's a mixed audience. You know, it's not all people who are hiring, um, but I have to include examples of this could happen when you're doing an estimate or this could, you know, if you see someone doing certain body language during the sales process or if you go to their home to give them an estimate or if you are doing an actual inner office meeting or, or you have to fire someone, you know, or you're doing a review with someone in your office, an employee. So you have to adjust it for every single audience anyway, but you want to have like a blanket, what I would call a blanket template mm-hmm. of your topic and have, you know, because you're always going to have to adjust it. Um, And sometimes they will come back to you and say, hey, I want you to do something a little bit different. And it's really, if you can't do it, the best thing you can tell the meeting planner is, look, I would love to do this for you, but that's too far out of my scope. I don't think I could provide value to your audience by presenting it that way, perhaps someone else, because you never want to do that and say, yeah, I can do it and then show up and it completely bombs because it's too far out of what, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. And then too, if you have three topics, you know, that's a great opportunity. If you do speak at the same show the following year, it gives them, you have two other topics that they can pick from because you've already been back to talk about body or to talk about body language. Maybe you're going to come back and talk about media. So, you know, just, it always just gives you more expanding options in the speaking industry to have that. Great. No, those are excellent points. Thank you so much. The one program that I recently joined is, um, What's it called? Experts on stage. And these, these are all, you know, they're also looking at building up a network of speakers and creating evergreen content and enabling, you know, teaching options and, and courses on, on these specific topics that these speakers are then going to be talking about. So this, this was very timely of me speaking with you because I'm also looking into going to speaking, not, not in a huge way, but in a way where I still have to speak to a camera and talk about the different topics or the one topic that I'm going to cover. So, and then, you know, mentioning the, the fact that you got to have a PowerPoint based on the different audience that you have very, very timely, timely topics or, yeah. And like I said, it's, it's something, I mean, even with my media, I, I'm speaking on media at the Midwest Veterinary. I have, I have two engagements next week, so it's going to be a busy week, but I'm speaking on the topic of media and it's to a bunch of veterinarians, you know, and, you know, so I put in like different pictures of animals and, and, you know, just to kind of make it, you know, a little bit more stuff that they're used to seeing yeah. and using examples that, would help them. So you're always going to have to do adjustments no matter what. So just kind of keep that in mind too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, at this point, we asked a few questions to our our guests. Um, First one, what is one hobby that you wish you got into? 
One hobby that I wish I got, I, well, I've been into it briefly in college, but that was photography. And I've actually, that's kind of on my list this year to get back into, because uh, I touched on it very briefly in college and I loved it. And uh, I love taking pictures. So um, looking at getting back into that this year. Awesome. Well, photography is one of my favorite hobbies. I take photographs of, you know, family events and, and um, my kids and whatnot. And one guy that I absolutely um, adore, he's, he's got an amazing YouTube channel. His name is Peter McKinnon. Uh, I'll send you a link to um, his YouTube channel. He's got a lot of, lot of cool um, tips and tricks on, on photography. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. What is your favorite movie or TV show? And if none, how about a book? Hmm, that's a tough one. I I love older movies. I love to watch the Turner Classic Movie Channel. I love black and white movies. You know, one of my favorite films was A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Um, you know, the old one, the very like one of the very first ones that they did. And I don't know why. I just I I'm not a big TV fan. I think we have a little too much reality TV in the world. Um, and I think that's probably why I gravitate towards that type of of channel and just watching the old black and white movies. Very cool. Uh, actually, a friend of mine is um, working on a remake for the Annie Hall movie. Oh wow! Yeah, so he's going through the process of he's got his own script and everything, but he's gonna use the cinematography, uh, you know, ideas from Annie Hall. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's pretty cool. So he's, uh, he's got a little podcast going on. Um, check it out when you get a chance. Okay. Next question. Who, what is your favorite superhero? My favorite superhero. I would have to say when I was little, I really liked Wonder Woman and that was on TV. That's probably why I liked it so much. But um, we don't, you know, and I think it's still true today. We don't have that many women superheroes. We need more. (laughs) And we have Captain Marvel coming out uh, later this year. Um, yeah, there's been several several different shows that are featuring um, comics and and superheroes, and that I, I'm just seeing kind of you know come out from the woodwork, and I'm like, oh, that's that's great. But I'd love to see more that are women. <laughs> absolutely, there's uh, Supergirl TV show has been going on for a couple of years. Uh, that's been pretty good. All right, last question: If you were a board game, what would it be? If I were a board game, um, well, this one I have to tell you is a little difficult for me to answer, and I'll mm-hmm. tell you why. We've actually been working on a game, which I'm going to have released later this year um, Ooh, due to awesome. trademark. Yeah, I can't really talk about it, but that's actually what I would be. And I will say, I will, I can say this: it teaches people how to network and build relationships. Dude, I would totally be on top of that board game because <laughs> yeah that is one. Uh, but that's really all i can say so <laughs> we'll, we'll look for it and you know whenever you launch it please share with us so we can i will i will yeah awesome well thank you so much for um the chat um where can my audience find you um very i think the easiest place to go if you're definitely especially if you're interested in being a speaker i'm always happy to have conversations with people um you know to see what i can do to help them but you can just go to bookspeakrepeat.com mm-hmm. uh, so bookspeakrepeat.com perfect 
and they can connect with you here. And you've got some uh, cool stuff over here that, that um, people can learn about. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Carrie. This was really eye-opening and very um, awesome conversation. I learned a lot. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on the show. I'm truly honored, and I hope that I was able to help some of the people in your listening audience today. Absolutely. And uh, we'll, we'll get in touch with you soon and, and have an awesome next week with your two speaking engagements. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Congratulations, you made it to the end of the episode. Thanks so much for listening to our guest on this episode. Please send me an email at junaid at hexandhobbies.com to tell me what you loved about our guest today. You could find links mentioned in this episode on the hexandhobbies.com website.